Hello, peachies. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to give a small biz shout out to one of my most loved brands, Different Drop. Guys, this is a brand that began in a garage with boxes of wine filling every square inch and two mates who had a dream of kicking their suits and ties to the curb and bringing good old-fashioned joy, flavour and experience to the palates of Aussies through truly delicious wines. Fast forward a few years and Different Drop is now one of Australia's leading wine retailers, They have ditched the garage for a warehouse and their team work directly with Australia and the world's finest independent winemakers. Their easy-to-navigate website has the best range of innovative, sustainable and delicious artisan wines in the damn country. As a close friend of these hard-working blokes, both who are fathers to young families, I can't help but recount their story with swelling pride. So if you want to support these legends, order yourself some nice drops to see you through the holiday season. Check out their mixed packed collections, guys. You will be able to sample their most loved wines with a mean discount. So order now and thank me later. Simply head to differentdrop.com forward slash peaches. Sal, we have so much to cover here today. I'm excited. I'm really happy you're here. Um, But first, I did just want to share my absolute delight at our newfound friendship. Um, I reached out to you a few years ago on Instagram and I let you know how inspired I was by your story and I offered to set you up with Peaches Online. You did, I remember. I was very touched. I was like, oh my God, because I obviously, um, your Peaches studio was near my house. I was like, oh my God, the Peaches girl. Oh my God. Well, I was like, just like amazed that you replied to me and I was definitely hoping we'd become friends, which we have. And now I'm like, haha, yeah. And now you're here in my podcast. It all went to plan. Manifesting 101. Literally. But isn't it amazing how... Like you build up the idea of someone and whether you think they'll have time for you or not. And then you meet them and you're like, ah, oh, you're just another, you know. You're normal. You're normal. You're a mummy. You're a business owner working your ass off. Yeah. And I'm such a believer in as well. Like I'm so, I was saying to you just before, I'm so done with chasing people. Yes. If people want to come into my realm and create magic of me, awesome. And I'm all about the reach out. And I think too, you know, when you connect with people, you know, when you get that, like when I met you in person, obviously I had a sense of, uh, you know, because I'd been to Peaches and I knew what Peaches was about and I knew your ethos. And I was like, I think I kind of, I, you know, I get your vibe. I like you, but I, you know, until you meet someone, you're never sure. And then when I, mean, I met you, I was like, oh, love, love, oh my God, you know? So it's nice when I think also your image of somebody and who they are in real life connects and you're like, oh. I, I was on the money there. Yeah, because Instagram can be a lot of smoke and mirrors, can't it? <laughs> yes, a lot of smoke and mirrors, like fog, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you see someone physically in real life, it can be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, yeah. a lot of filtering going on there. <laughs> 
Um, but only a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the rebrand of your incredible wellness line, Swish. And you have been such an amazing support of the work we do at Peaches, as well as a really genuine supporter of my personal growth as a woman in business. Thank so you. Thank, thank you. you. It fe- well, it feels like, I don't know, if it feels really good. I think, and I always say this, it feels good to give. It feels good to be nice. It feels like... You don't have to be, I don't know, am I allowed to swear? Don't be an yeah, asshole. Yeah, oh yeah, we swear. You don't have to be an asshole. Like you can actually go about your life and still strive for what you want, but without stomping on other people. You can do that. Massively. And like, oh my God, there's enough people. Plenty. In Sydney, let alone Australia, let Plenty. alone the world. Globally, there's so many. It's fine. Yeah. But I just wanted to say thank you. For thank being you. Such a I feel the same. Really nice supporter, and we are actually here to have a good old fashioned DNM. Love it. Not for me to gush about you. Um, so before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, for any of our listeners out there who don't know about your career history, just mm. kind of get an idea of who you are. How did you kind of evolve from media to your own business? So I. Um so as background, after school, I actually did an accounting degree and I worked <laughs> for yeah, I worked for 10 years in investment what? banking. Yeah. So I actually- Did come, you hate it? Um, well, I loved it in the beginning and then right sort of towards the end of my 10 years, I was like, oh, I actually have always wanted to work in television. I really wanted to even as a kid. But my parents, who are both accountants, were like, that doesn't sound like a very safe job. Like, you know, you should just get something really steady and secure. And they're very kind of, I guess, risk averse. And so I did the right thing and did that but then around the 10 year mark I got to this point where I was like I just I don't love it actually anymore you know and maybe I never really loved it I just did it and I did a good job but I left it very much at the height of my career like I was made VP which is which stands for vice president I had like a great salary great title great benefits like all the stuff that like you know my peers were like this is amazing and then I was like okay guys I'm exiting now I was like what the fuck are you doing and I was like I think I'm gonna go work in television and I was like I and people would say to me like do you have any experience do you know anyone do you anything (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, no, I know nobody and I have no experience. I have no context. I've I've got no idea what I'm doing here, but I'm just going to resign from this very healthy job at like definitely the time when you shouldn't. But to be fair, the credit for that actually goes to Marcus who- I was about to ask if you were married at this point. Yes, I was. And it was actually Marcus who said, listen, nothing worse than dying and wondering, you know, you better to try have it not work, you can always go back. And it was almost like that ignited something within me. And I was like, okay, here I go. This is it. I'm going to make this happen. And to be fair, it took me like three and a half-ish years before I even properly got my foot in the door for work experience. So in that three and a half years, I because we've still got bills to pay. So I was a personal trainer. I was a Pilates instructor. When, yeah. When Pilates was very new, like, I mean, so new. So we're talking, this would be kind of early 2000s. I became a Pilates instructor. I worked at Gold's Gym as a Pilates instructor, which I loved. Um, and um, I did, because you have to pay bills. And so I did all that while I was trying to, you know, get this TV thing. Anyway, eventually I got some work experience in TV and I worked for about a year for free until I got a pay job, which was paying me so little. So I still would train clients in the morning. I'd go to this job all day. I'd train clients and I, I did that for a few more years. I won't bore you with a long story, but basically eventually I got a job on camera on a show called Sydney Weekender, which I did for a few years. Then I went and was an entertainment reporter at Today Tonight, which I loved. That was my dream job. And I interviewed every celebrity under the sun, everyone you can possibly think of, I've interviewed. And I did that for 
about seven or eight years, then I went and hosted my own show. So all up, I was in TV for almost two decades. And then, but I had started Swish while I was still in TV. So kind of at the end of my time at TT, when I was pregnant, I got cancer. I'm I'm sure we'll cover that in some detail. But sort of during my recovery or in the midst of my recovery, I had this idea that I wanted to create something. If I lived, I wanted to create something that would help people feel well. Because I knew what it was like to be sick and I definitely knew what it was like to feel well. And one is much better than the other. And I wanted to create something really special. And so I had our Swish business at the same time as doing TV for many, many years. Did I answer the question? <laughs> I'm literally mind blown by the just the dedication. But don't you reckon being an instructor was actually a really nice kind of way to learn some of the skills that you used in television? Because you have to talk to new people all the time. You have to hold a room. You have to print your presenter. You're performing. You're a performer. You're a performer. You're definitely a performer. And I think I loved being an instructor. Like I, and I had had a very also, um, I think, an unusual relationship with exercise growing up. I was never very sporty. I was never very, um, you know, I was not that way inclined. So it was an unusual thing for me to want to do while I was trying to get into TV. But I had had a trainer who left a big impact on me and and kind of helped me fall in love with exercising and moving my body and getting stronger and so then when I was like well what can I do that is my own business that's kind of you know that I could do kind of on the side while I try and get into tv and I was like oh I could be a personal trainer like I actually really loved having a trainer and so I mean it was a lot of work I mean it's not you've got to go study you've got to do all your cert fours you've got to build a business essentially from scratch so it was my kind of my side hustle essentially until I got a TV job. Wow. Seriously, I bow down. I don't think that there would be many people who know, I certainly didn't, of like the hard yards you put into even to get a paid role in TV. Oh, I remember my boss saying to me, Al, who I adored, he would come in like, you know, maybe every second or third week he'd say to me, you know, you're still not getting paid, right? And I'd be like, I know, Al, that's I'm fine. <laughs> I'm still here. And I'd come in every day. I'd be there at 8.30 and I'd work till 5.30. And I, you know, like I said, I'd train clients in the morning, you know, from four. And then I would, you know, train clients till 10 at night. But I think when you want something, like when you're actually working towards something, and I always say this, it's like, it's on you. It's on you to do. If, and, and the reward is all yours at the end if you can get there, you know, if you want it badly enough. Um, sorry, our printer just turned on and started printing something. <laughs> I was Anyhow, like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> that's what happens when your podcast room is in with the printer. <laughs> um, don't you reckon like as a business owner, I'm going to go and turn it off because it's really noisy. <laughs> and by the way, I don't edit this stuff out. I love it. So I love so it. It's really raw and real. <laughs> <laughs> funny okay look if it happens again we'll just fine yeah um but I was about to say don't you reckon as a business owner that who deals with staff and people that like people expect so much from the second they begin with you I don't know if it's and I feel like I I say this a lot and I don't know if it's just because like I'm old now (laughs) but I just feel like there has been a shift which I don't think is necessarily entirely bad I do think that we need to value people and expect like people need a monetary return but also like 
If you're walking into a space with no experience and no skill set to offer the space, and then that space is going to invest in you and build up your skills and give you their time. I mean, having a new staff member is always way more work than you get back. So much. You just do the job for them and hope that at some point they learn how to do it. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. I want, like, where is that? Where is that hustle? It's funny. I feel like um, we talk about this a lot, obviously, it's very hard. I think it's, it's such a tricky one. You're right. At some point, I think it's it's healthy that people know that um, they don't want to burn out. They want to have a job that they love and something that they, they do and that they contribute towards without it being kind of at, at all costs. But in a way, I do think that the needle has gone too far. And I think that, and this is not for everyone, this is a bit of a generalisation, but I see it a lot where more people than less are dialing it in. That's actually what I call it. It's like, well, I'm getting paid for the job. I'll do the bare minimum. And also I would like you to praise me all the time, pat me on the back. I would be like heaps of benefits. I also don't want um, any kind of feedback that's constructive in any way, shape or form. Feedback. You can't give it without tears, it seems. No, you can't can't give feedback. And, 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 and so then it becomes this very, in a way, um, it's actually, I think it's a disservice to them. And I don't know necessarily, like I have had my managers give me plenty of feedback. I mean, it is all feedback. TV is all feedback. You've literally got somebody in your ear giving you feedback <laughs> while you're doing your job. Like literally they're like, don't follow they're yell- that. yeah, they're, they're yelling at you the whole time. <laughs> you know, but like feedback is okay. Feedback is healthy. If you're a parent, you'll know you're raising a child. What you're telling them, like say, please say thank you, you know, um, put the toilet seat down, whatever. That's all feedback. And it's the same in a job. It's okay to get feedback. I'm not saying your boss has to be rude, but I'm saying it's also okay. It's that's the relationship, you know. And I think that that has changed. And I also think that we have had a long period where um, we haven't had a downturn in the labor market, and a lot of people have never experienced a downturn in the labor market. And if you're old enough and you have, and you can remember what a recession is, and you can remember what it's like to be without a job, or you can remember going to an interview and there being hundreds of people also interviewing for that job, you also have a better appreciation of the value of a job. And we haven't had that for a long time. And I think a lot of younger people have never been through that. And you, in a way, I think everyone should experience that because it stings and it's a bad sting, but it also makes you value and appreciate a job when you have one. Yes. Amen. And obviously you're coming um, at that from way more experience for me in terms of like recession eras, but I have certainly been made redundant. I have Mm. certainly been desperate to get jobs Mm. that are like, you know, coveted and and would do anything. And, and, you know, and once you're in, you're like, I'll do anything to stay and to like get a promotion but by working and proving myself and and offering things that you didn't ask me to do and anyway my god like literally we could talk about this for the whole time (laughs) and I actually I've written at the end of my list of questions if we have time let's touch on blah 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 (laughs) but I really I know what people are here for and it's it's just the most incredible tale of resilience and positivity when it comes to your own health battles. Um, I remember being completely mind blown after learning you were diagnosed with cancer at nine months pregnant. Mm. I truly can't even imagine the complexities Mm. of that situation. Mm. Um, 
can we take the clock back just a tiny bit further mm. and start with your IVF experience? Mm. Because I feel like that even makes it more poignant. So I had, well, not I had been trying to have a baby. We had been trying to have a baby for about six or seven years. And I say back then, but like Annabelle's only 11. But so this is going back a little bit. No one spoke about IVF, like nobody. Like whereas now it's really common and I think that's amazing. It's so out in the open and there's no stigma but there was definitely was a stigma no one spoke about it I didn't know anyone who'd been through it everybody I knew was literally sneezing and having a baby and I was like in a world of hell honestly like just could not for love nor money fall pregnant and I, there was nothing kind of in inverted commas technically wrong you know my doctor was like well you know kind of you're you know, young enough, your eggs are healthy, Marcus's sperm's fine. Not sure why. It's like an unexplained infertility. No idea. And I struggled, like the, I didn't do IVF because I just couldn't get my head around it. I literally was like, oh, I just don't. I just think my body's a failure. I felt terrible about myself. And then it took me a long time to finally, I guess, mentally come around and go, okay, I I now admit I need help. And we did IVF and it was actually a bit of a dream run. We had one, we did one cycle and it worked first time round. So it was amazing. And I had a great touch wood dream pregnancy. It was beautiful. I loved it. I loved being pregnant. I worked all the way through. I traveled. I felt amazing. And it was, I was deli- actually deliriously happy. Like I really was. I was so, so happy. And so you know, I felt, I felt just so lucky. I felt so, I felt like I actually got the jackpot. You know, I was in a job I loved. I finally, after all this time was pregnant. I had a great pregnancy. So then obviously to get that diagnosis was out of the blue. And that's my question next. Like, did you know something was wrong? Did you feel unwell? Was there a lump that you were like, mm, I'll just get this checked out? Like, how do we get there? So uh, around about maybe seven months I'd say six or seven months I definitely felt a lump in my breast but I was like I mean lumpy boobs and pregnancy that's just normal right you're like milk ducts are forming there's a lot of growth going on completely I thought nothing of it and I said to Marcus oh maybe it's like a milk ducts or b like especially towards the end like around sort of month eight month nine I was like maybe it's like a blocked milk duct or can you get mastitis before you've even like had a baby? I don't know. Oh, just, you know, whatever. I, like literally just, but both boobs were lumpy, but one in particular, I could feel something. And I said to myself a few times, oh, I must tell some obstetricians named Stephen. I was like, I must tell Stephen when I go. And then I'd forget. And then I'd be like, oh, I'll tell him next month when I come back for my next checkup. Oh, I forgot. I'd tell him next month. And I was, had gone sort of full term, I'd finished work. I um, had gone to see Stephen and I said, he's like, do you want to be induced? Do you want to like, and I was like, no, I feel really good. I'll just wait. And he's like, okay, great. And I finished my appointment. He's like, baby's healthy. Everything's terrific. Let's just see what happens in the next few days. I was like, okay, great. Got dressed, was about to exit, literally one foot out the door of, of his, um, of the room. And then I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you. In fact, I keep forgetting to tell you that I've got this lump. And I was like, but don't worry, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll show you. Because I was already dressed and I was like, I'll show you in a couple of days when I come back. And, yeah. They were so busy. Like I looked, I remember looking down the corridor and seeing all these people waiting for their appointment. And I was like, everyone's waiting. I won't keep them waiting any longer. I'll show you in a couple of days. He was like, no, 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 show me now. And we actually like had a few words back and forth. I was like, no, 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 everyone's waiting. He's like, no, show me. And I was like, no, I don't want to keep everyone waiting. He was like, you must show me. 
And um, so I was like, oh, okay, 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 I'll show you. So then I showed him. He was like, okay. I like, he goes, I'll get Lex. That's his assistant. I'll get Lex to just book you an appointment in the morning. And I was like, okay, that's so nice. Thank you. And it, before I'd even like wandered out to the front desk, Lex is already on the phone to the breast clinic, like trying to get like a, um, a mammogram. And I'm like, oh, Lex is so nice. And I can hear her on the phone basically very sternly saying to the clinic, they're saying there's nothing available for two weeks. And she's saying, tomorrow, we need an appointment. But can I tell you, I had no idea. I was patting my belly and like, just going like, Lex is so sweet, like so nice. Like, 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 I got my back there, you know. You know, when you look back on something, you're like, you're such an idiot, such an idiot. Like, how could you have not, like, why is she freaking out? Why is she insisting? And I'm like, oh, the service here is so lovely. Like, I'm I'm just delusional. Anyway, she makes me the appointment. I go the next morning at nine o'clock. I'm, you know, the place is packed. People come, people go, everyone's gone. I'm still there. I've done one mammogram, two mammograms, a biopsy. I go for lunch. I come back. <clears throat> Marcus is like, are you still there? And I'm like, yeah. I end up getting, while I'm there, a book deal. I get this oh book deal. Oh, my God. Sally, pitched, amazing story. I pitched this book idea and while I'm there, I get this. I get a note from my agent saying, oh, my God, we got you the book deal. They're so keen. I'm like, can this day get any better? Like, how good is this day? This is unbelievable. I'm also trying to line up this. Even though I've sort of finished work, I'm lining up this Sarah Jessica Parker interview for this other girl to take over because I'm off. And I'm like, I this is the best day. Like, I'm just so happy. Then I went, I had some lunch, I came back. Everyone's gone. I'm still there. Like, I'm still there. And you're not thinking, why am I still here? Which is wild. But I actually think it just, I've got no family history. I didn't know anybody who'd ever had cancer. I have, it's just, it's the same as saying if an alien literally just fell from the sky and sat here next to us on this empty chair. Like, it's so wild. It was just not on my... I don't know, just not, not just, just not on my radar, even remotely, even remotely. And then right at the end of the day, she's like, oh, listen, you've been here all day. How are you feeling? You must be so tired. Why don't I get Marcus down here? And, I, and so then I'm like... Oh, so she's like, I'm going to get your support person here. Gonna oh, get your, my God. And I'm like, okay, that sounds really good. Still, still clueless. Anyway, so we're waiting for Marcus to come and um, the, the nurse is sitting with me. And I'm tapping away, tap, 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 Sarah, just come what time can, and she's like, and how are you feeling? I'm thinking, why does she keep asking yeah, me how am I feeling? Like what, this woman is so weird, right? And it's funny because years later I saw her and I, I, was, I wasn't being short with her, but I was like, why is she sitting here? Like I but don't that, need that's you. That's when the, you denial, denial. It's, no, I'm, I'm fine. What are you, why are you bothering it's me? It's like, it's so weird. I'm thinking, and, and I'd be tapping and she's like, and, and are you just tapping me on the knee? Are you okay? And you, do you need anything? And are you, are you, Marcus will be here any minute. And I was like, yeah, I know you already told me. I, I know, I know. I'm thinking this, this lady is clingy yeah. actually. <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough. <laughs> And years later when I saw her, she was like, hi, do you remember? And I was like, I remember. I said, and I am so sorry. I said, I had no, she said, I knew you had no idea. She said, I was sitting there and I felt sick because I was thinking, you don't know what's about to come. She said, you were so oblivious. And you kept saying to me, you don't have to sit here, you know, I'm sure you've got stuff to do, you can leave. And she's like, and I was instructed to not leave. I was like, oh, 
So, oh my god! So she's like trying to hang around. She's hateful. and you're like, you can go. I was like, you can go. You must have stuff to do. Like I can sit here on my own. And, so Marcus um, arrives, Marcus and is arrives. he on edge? He no. He says the minute he gets the call, he knows. He knows something bad, right? He's like, they don't ask you to come down there no. unless it's bad. So he arrives, and literally he sits down, and she comes in, the doctor, and she's like, listen, I'm really sorry, but you have breast cancer, and it's a very aggressive, massive lump, and. I've already been on the phone to your obstetrician. This is not – I don't have good news here. This is this is actually really bad. And I just obviously burst into tears. And I think the, I think the first thing I said was, am I going to die? And she was like, oh, I, I, can't, I don't know. I can't tell you. And so then I was like, oh, my – and then literally it was like the world stopped – it was like the world stopped and she said, listen, I've already been on the phone to your obstetrician. You have to leave here now. Go see him. You have to get this baby out and at the end of the week you have to start chemo. You have to, you have to get this baby out and basically in like four days after that you have to start chemotherapy. It's like I've never even heard of – like I think I saw chemotherapy in a movie one time. Like I just have no fucking concept no what of, of what's you. going on here, you know. And I remember turning up then, so we left them howling and we go to Stevens and, you know, he's like, he's so good. He, I'm like, I, I want a cesarean. I'm like, I want to, I, I can't, I can't now. I can't yeah, push, I can't more. do anything. I, and he's like, listen to me, no cesarean for you. You are doing chemo. You cannot have a cesarean and chemo together, right? So listen to me, you are going to turn up in the morning, you are going to have this baby. Don't think about cancer. Get the baby out first. Then we'll worry about you. Fucking falling apart. I'm like, okay. And then, and then it hits you that you actually have to tell the people you love. And that's actually quite sickening. Like I always still feel sick about that. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I have to go tell my mum that I have cancer. I have to, I, like I have to go tell my sister. Like I have to – like it's just – it's so crazy. It's so fucking crazy. So and even like I don't even know like what where to even touch on but like when you're at that pointy end of pregnancy and you have this plan of how you want to birth this baby and well, you know those the golden hours after and you know breastfeeding and and to have that just torn out from under you and such a wanted pregnancy and such a longed for experience like totally Totally. And it's like the whole thing is – and it's funny because the, the days after I remember thinking, you know, the maternity ward is the happiest place in the hospital, right? Like it's so happy. You know, it's full of flowers and people come to visit and it's so, you know. And I had this room at the end of the corridor and I remember I would walk past all the other rooms and they'd have visitors in there and everyone's like, oh. Just giddy with excitement, everyone's all cooing, and and it's all beautiful. And I'd walk down the end to my room, and it's just I would I'd, oh, I fucking hated it because it was so much grief. There was just endless grief and tears, and sobbing, and and tests, and you know, cat scans and MRIs, and where's the cancer? And like it just is just not compatible with a maternity ward. Like it was just shit. Yeah, it's just terrible. And, like, it, I mean, let, let alone the thought of, like, 
am I going to be around to mm. raise this child? Mm. But even in that, like the really short time windows, there's a lot that happens to your body after having a baby. Oh. It's a huge recovery. I'm assuming the like the chance to breastfeed no, was taken from no you. No feeding. No feeding. Like that must like, have hurt. Oh, I was bawling my eyes out. And I think and you want to. Like I don't think people understand how much you want to breastfeed a baby until you hold your baby in your arms and it feels like. Like I want. And I think it's about choice. Yeah. It's about like it's like I like. That wasn't yours to do. It's not do. my choice. You know, like if I had chosen that like uh, this isn't something I can do or I, whatever. But it's like when you've got no choice in the matter and when choice is taken from you, you feel quite robbed. You know, like it was very um they were like no take this pill this will make the milk stop no there's no there's there's no there's no time like literally there's it's there's no time there's no time you didn't even get to grieve that because it was like forget breastfeeding fucking start fighting for your life no time there's no time for anything i remember howling saying like you know like i'll come back in two weeks for the chemo like i just need two weeks and whatever and they're like there's no time there's no time like and when you're hearing from people there's no time like you can't even give me two weeks it's like fuck this is not good. This is really not good. Oh, my God. So how long after your daughter was born did chemo start? Day seven. <laughs> day seven. Day seven. So originally it was for day four, and I think I, day four I was still in tests. I went home, I think, day five, and I was like, I can't, I can't come back tomorrow on day six. I literally can't leave here and come back to the same – well, not the same place, not the maternity ward, but downstairs – I can't come back for chemo the next day. They're like, great, okay, we'll give you one more day. day. With her to I just be a mummy. Just wanted one day. I just wanted one day, and it's hard because you're just um, can't even enjoy well, it. You're not enjoying it. You're, I don't, I don't even know. It's like, yeah, literally, it's an out of body experience. So they started with chemotherapy. Chemo first. Originally, it was like just do three months, and you know we'll see how we go. And chemo was. And there's different kinds of chemo. There's, you know, um, there's all different, yeah, depending on, like cancer is not just one thing. There's all different kinds of cancers, not just like breast or, you know, ovarian or liver or whatever, but there's also, say, within breast cancer, different kinds. And I had what's called triple negative, which means it's negative to any hormone. So the amazing research and um, survival rates that we've had in the last, you know, kind of 10, 15 years are for hormone-related cancer. So you'll hear someone say, I've got an estrogen positive or a um, HER2, you know, cancer. So all those great survival rates are for Had those. Had to do with you. Not me. So mine has a very or it has obviously in the last couple of years has had an increased survival rate, which is really great. But they have all the great chemo that they have is not for that. All the great survival rates are not for that. So the only chemo they have is what we call like old-school 1970s chemo, the chemo that just kills everything everything and it's a race it's a race to get the it's a race to get the cancer versus if whether you know the rest of you dies first like it's who knows how how it will go so it's it's literally obliteration and that's what it's like and you turn up and um it's six or seven hours in the chair and the chemo going in and i always say to people it's fucking sickening it's this um depending on the concoction and different concoctions feel different but it's this awful feeling of like a tiny tiny straw and someone trying to shove I don't know like cement through a straw and banging it through your veins for like seven hours 
And, and you know that it's poison. It's like, poison. Yeah. It's, po- it's funny. One day a bag, like a chemo bag, like, I don't know, like it partly, partly opened and fell on the ground and – holy shit then like everyone's in a hazmat outfit everyone yeah like they're like oh fuck like clear the area you're injecting that shit into me straight in straight in so like yeah it's it's i mean it's i mean it's poison there's nothing else to say but but also thank god for chemo right like so it's also you know i take nothing away from it so they were like okay just do three months we'll see how we go and I really, that first three months took its toll because you get sicker and sicker with every cycle. You come from a worse and worse base. And uh, particularly I remember towards the end, you're very also conscious of um, like your world time stands still, you know, so there's nothing normal about your world. And I remember in this period, I was so aware of the seasons, you know, like I could hear people, it was summer and about. yeah like what they're doing or you could smell barbecues or you can hear people entertaining and you can and your world is not that and you know like I remember even like as the months would go on you know we rolled into autumn and I saw all the leaves change and whatever and I was like it's just so weird like the world goes on but your world is not going on you're very much in a in a hell that's all your own you know um and so I got to three months and they were like this is not, it's not, it's not budging. This is not budging. You have to do another three months. And I was that like. That must have felt like. Oh. Because you must have been so attached to that, that date. It was, was like, I, was, I just need to get through this. I was holding on and I was getting sicker and sicker. And, and the, the, um, it's not just why you do the chemo. It's in the weeks after that you're so sick. You're so nauseous. The, the painkillers give you insomnia. The tablets to make you sleep give you mouth ulcers. You've got this taste of like petrol in your mouth the entire time. You can't eat. You, like just, it's, it's just a shit show. It's just a shit. Like you, you want to eat to fight the nausea. You can't eat because of the ulcers. Like your body is at war with itself and you, and it's terrible. Um, so yeah, they were like, no, that three months isn't enough. You need to do another three. The end of the six, it was another three, and then another one. So it was oh. a lot. It was a lot. So it was close to ten you get, months. You double it, and then they add another three months because it's not. It's not enough. It's not enough. You know. And I, it's funny because right towards the very end, I remember when they were like, "Okay, no more cycles. That that will be your last one." And then I had become almost so attached, even though I was so sick, I was so attached to it because I was afraid to stop. They were like, well, your liver and kidney are actually starting to shut down now. So actually that's worse. And I was like, oh, but I, I, I I'll, I, I may, I'll do more cycles. I, I'll do, maybe I'll take a break and then we can come back to more cycles because I was so afraid, you know, because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I mean, I have so many questions about this period. I can't believe you had a newborn. I know. Postpartum is you know, notoriously a challenge for a lot of women. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah. To be going through that and having all of those really valid, emotional, physical challenges just brushed aside for chemotherapy. It was hard because also, like, it's not like – I remember a few times I'd be like, oh, if I wasn't actually a mum, I could just crawl under the doona yeah. and wait for this year to pass, if it ever passes. You know, or if I die, well, it doesn't matter because I don't leave anyone behind. Or if I, you know, like, so it's like on one hand, I was so happy to have a baby and I was like, I have to, 
you know, people often go say like, oh, do you, do you think you fought harder, you know, because you know that she was there? And I'm like, yeah, probably, probably because like, fuck, I just was like, I don't want to leave you, yeah. you know, like, and who does? Like no parent wants to leave their child, you know? Um, and maybe there was that, you know, your baby does something and it lights up your world. Maybe just those tiny windows. Completely, completely. And there are, there's moments where you, like I remember there were times like say I'd take her um, like in the Baby Beyond, we'd go for a little walk or whatever and like you forget you're sick. You know, you forget because you're not looking at yourself or whatever and it's just her and I and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy and then you forget. But it's like then you'll see someone on the street who does a double take and then their eyes just fill with such sadness and pity and then you remember that you're sick and then, you know, like it's just like, oh, fuck, that's right. I forgot. Did you look really sick? I looked so sick. I like let you lose your hair. I lost my hair, my eyebrows, my skin was grey. Was and you have such a yellow. slight frame as well. You was, did, you, I put on like so much weight from all the chemo. Um, like I just, I looked, I looked sick. I was sick. I looked sick. And how did Marcus, like, you know, this is huge for him. Oh, so huge. So huge. Um, Marcus is great. He is just going to say such a great guy. Um, we had been married at this point for a while. And I think we earlier on in our marriage, Marcus had Bell's palsy. And it's, Bell's palsy is kind of like a, for want of a better word, a mini stroke, essentially where half your face collapses and whatever. And so we had been through that, I think, together. And in a way... I don't say that was a good experience because it was not good, but it was a big shock. I think we're only t- we'd only been together a little while and he was quite sick and had to have a lot of time off and couldn't eat. And like, so we'd already been through like a mini crisis kind of. So it was, I mean, it's not the same as like what we went through, but in a way we knew how to come together. Mm-hmm. And Marcus is very, um, he's very empathetic. He's very, he's very in touch with his emotions. He's not, he's not a like, oh, I'm just going to block this all out. And um, he was actually the one who said to me, "Listen, you actually will have to go. To, you've got to go to therapy through this because you're you won't be able to get through this. Like we're all here to love and support you." And there's there, and I was incredibly like I have a, a, my parents are amazing, you know. I have an amazing group of girlfriends, and I also was incredibly fortunate to have what I call like a lot of love and goodwill from the public, you know. And that is a very that's a gift. That's such a gift. And and he said to me, for all the love that's here for you, you still, you need, still a need a safe, professional. You need yeah. you need somewhere to go. And and I kind of was like, oh, now just one more thing for me to do. I do not need more kind of doctors or whatever. I just I just needed less shit on my plate, like a bit like literally my whole life was just going to hospitals, going to chemo, going to tests, going to get injections. Like and, and talking I, about how shit you feel, you probably um, didn't want to go to. I did sit in someone's not, room and talk about I did yeah. not want to go and it was critical because I needed somewhere to go to say all the stuff I wanted to say that I couldn't say to the people that I love because you you ultimately there's a part of you that will always protect them and they you can don't, never know how shit you, you feel. You can never know how shit you feel or you can never know or, or or also like you're still human, right? They they're still trying to help you and you're like you're fucking annoying me, you know, because but but like you, you also don't want to say that or you also don't want to say like how worried you are that you're going to die or you or like I don't like you just need a place to be able to 
sob endlessly or just all of it I don't know you just needed a space and I and I did I went twice a week um actually for years I went all through treatment and then post-treatment to help me actually recover from like the trauma of what I had been through because in when you're in it you're just in survival mode but it's actually afterwards when not that the support's gone but in a way you know you're in inverted commas you're better and so everyone's like oh thank god it's great you're better and so everyone sort of which is correct, goes disperses, back, disperses. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like if, if you know, I say this a lot to people, if they lose a family member, if they lose a partner, everyone gathers mm-hmm. around kind of until the funeral and they kind of make sure you're okay. Then afterwards everyone sort of disperses. But it's afterwards when you that really you feel the, um, you're like, what the fuck just happened there, you know? I always think about that with people who've lost someone mm. that like the the cruel reality that like life goes on and eventually people and it's not even that they've lost interest it's just that you know that they have lives and I always think how bitter people must be at at times seeing people just carry on because for you your world has fallen apart it's so hard and you it's it's a it's a tricky one because you know we're here today out this is like a normal day and somebody else's life is falling apart today. Somebody else is having a, a terrible day. Like, like that is just the reality of the world, you know. It's just how it is. So chemo finishes. Did you need radiation? Mm-hmm. Did oh. radiation, yep. And is, did that feel like a walk in the park compared to chemo? I've heard it's actually a lot more invasive than people think. Well, it's funny. I think it depends on your experiences. Like I've spoken to people who have had chemo um, that's like a pill that you take and they don't lose their hair and it's very like kind of, again, it depends on what kind of cancer you have. And so their chemo was like, oh, I worked all the way through and I just I barely noticed I had anything. I'm like, oh, my God, cool. that's amazing. That's good. Yeah. So it just depends. And so therefore then for them, radiation's like, oh, my gosh. But for me, radiation, I was like, I, I don't care, whatever. It's just it's it was fine I was so happy to go there every day and Um, like for people who don't understand what radiation is can you explain it because it's quite an intricate it's it is very intricate so what they do is they so I had had a mastectomy first so I actually my process was chemo mastectomy on the side that had the lump then the radiation then I went back for a mastectomy on the other side and then a recon a recon meaning a reconstruction of the breasts um so what they do with the radiation again this is like I mean the, the people leave the room they leave the like this. It's not. It's it's actually a, it's wild sometimes. You know, if you. I mean, even the word radiation. Like you know, it's a bad thing, but it's it's to kill. Um, so what they do is they give you these. It's it's a marker. So you get these three tattoos. So they literally tattoo you, and so they create like for me, it's like a triangle. This like this is the area that we're going to do the radiation on. And sometimes you'll see in my pictures, like if I when I'm posting, depending on the light you'll see a massive scar on my chest and it's still there. Like here we are kind of 10 years on from that. And it looks like a burn mark. Like, you know, if you've ever burnt your shirt, like you've left the iron on your shirt, it look, it's this big, um, very dark brown um, patch that you can see on my skin. And depending, you'll see... I've just come off, um, off my. Oh but you'll yeah, see, you, you see can. that? It does look like an yeah. iron mark. It's like an iron yeah. mark, and that's um, and this is after ten years of fading, and it's still it's still there, and it's it's to burn. It burns, you know. And does it? What does it feel? Is it? Does it hurt after? It hurts after, and they give you all the creams to put on, and it does. It does hurt, 
But I think for me, it hurt less than the chemo, and it, and and everything's relative, right? Depends what you've been through. For me, it was less than the chemo and less than the mastectomy. The mastectomy actually, I was not prepped, yeah, for for, for what for, for what that was going to be and and how I would feel. I actually wasn't ready. I didn't emotionally. I, Emotionally, emotionally, I was not ready. I was, I think, because the chemo was so bad, I rolled into the mastectomy thinking, I don't just care what happens off. here. This is going to be again. so easy. I, I just like, and I was not prepped at all. I, I don't want to say I wasn't prepped. I don't mean like they didn't prep me. I just mean mentally, I hadn't wrapped my head around what is actually happening here. And afterwards, the aftermath of that for me was, I was really shocked. I was like, oh my God, I felt, um, I, I felt like I didn't deserve to be in the world. I felt like less of a person. I, I, I was just – it was very confronting. I think because maybe you don't think about your breasts that much because you just they're just there and you've got them and it, they're always there and then suddenly, like, one's gone. And I was – yeah, I, I did not cope well. And it can be, for a lot of women, such an integral part of their femininity. Of And, and, and then as a mother, yep. I think that comes into it as well. Like, you know, you're holding your child to your bosom yes. kind of, yep. you know. And, and even just your brain reminds you of stupid things. Oh. Like, this is how it's meant to be. I'm meant to like, have a soft bosom for my child to fall into. Like, even if, you know, like, just, do you know what I'm saying? It's like one day it's there and one day it's gone. Yeah. It's it, It's... You know, and, and I really was like, oh, and I was surprised at myself. I was like, come on, Sal, like, what is with this feeling? Like, would, like, and I remember one day I walked around to um, my local local fruit shop and it was hot and I had, like, all these layers on because I was trying to, like, disguise, Hi. like, not to anyone but just to myself that, that, you know, like I was somehow missing something or less than or whatever and I remember walking back and, and sort of saying to myself, like, would you feel this way about anybody else? Like, and I was like, no, of course not. Um, if you saw somebody, you know, who had one arm, would you feel this way? Definitely not, if, you know. So it's like, what is happening here? And I just, I think I just, because I hadn't mentally given it any time to prepare, like, hey. You're going to lose a part of I'm yourself. I'm losing a part of myself. Hey, every time you look in the mirror, something's going to be gone. You know, like I hadn't given myself any kind of a period to to warm up into it. I literally just rolled right in from one thing to another. That it, the shock of it was a lot for me. And I remember it took me a fair bit of time to just be like, okay, I'm different to how I was before. I'm different to also, and this is why I really dislike this kind of concept of normal you know like because what is normal there is no normal we're all so different you know in, in every way shape and form um you know and it's like i i'm still me on the inside i just look different to how i looked before and sometimes i think too you know i remember for a period of time afterwards even after the reconstruction and stuff having so many scars everywhere is a is a reminder they're literally like battle scars they're everywhere you know and they're not small little like um cesarean cute little little, like oh my gosh my doctor just does this tiny little thing it's like no they're from hip to hip you know they're like down my back they're across you know they're literally everywhere it's like edward scissorhands got to you and it's a lot you know and it's like trying to come to terms with who you are and you change and to 
and to be proud of that and to know that I mean I always find it quite confronting to learn how attached we are to our physicality you know like something as simple as a haircut can leave people in tears you know like it so I think when you take it down to that like I think there's a lot of people out there who have no idea of the intensity of what you went through you lose your hair you lose your eyebrows you lose your identity you don't look you look in the mirror and you don't know who that is anymore you don't you don't recognize yourself you know and it's hard because say something like um let's just say something like weight gain or weight loss it's gradual right Mm. so it's like over time you gain weight or over time you lose weight whatever but these things are so from one second to the next you know like literally over a period of like nine days I like lost all my hair you know like it's it's quick it's like you're I'm walking through the room and like the hair's falling as I walk so it's not like you've got time to go oh I'm adjusting slowly to the new me I'm gonna get a haircut maybe I'll you know there's no adjusting it's not like oh they're slowly going to remove my breast I'll just have time to get used to it. it's like no I rolled in there with one and rolled out without one like it's all very quick and I think it's that speed of change that jarring jars you and you you mentally you need time to catch up so how did that make you feel in your like relationship with your husband? Oh, like Marcus was amazing because he was like, you're no different to me. You're complete, like you're as beautiful as you always were. But it's, I mean, I'd be like, oh, like you're just saying that because you just want to be nice to me because of course you have to say that. You're not going to be like, you're not nice, you know. But I, I, I felt so different and I needed time. And I think this is so true. It's actually not about how other people see us. It's how we feel about ourselves. It's actually the most important part. Like I needed that time to, and again, back to therapy and why it was so important. I needed time to process what had happened and how I felt and whatever. And then once I felt better, I wasn't as irritated when he would be like, you're so beautiful. And I'd be thinking, liar. <laughs> Like you know, isn't it but, cruel that we do that to ourselves? Oh, I know. When, when you're so, when your most close person to you says something to you, I and you think you're you're lying because you're, you're trying just, to be nice. You're just to being me. nice to me because we all know that it's you know. But um, yeah, I never. I I felt so secure. I felt so loved. I feel you know. I felt incredibly um, fortunate to be married to such a great guy. I really did. But also, like that doesn't. You know, and I, I and I say this marks a lot. It's like doesn't matter. I don't say it doesn't matter what you think of me, but kind of it doesn't matter what you think of me. What matters is what I think of myself, and that is so. I, because that's what you bring to the relationship. Correct. Correct. If you can love yourself, then you're lovable, and that's like the hardest lesson in life. So right? hard. So I mean, hard. I didn't. You told me I could literally ask you anything. And anyway, I didn't. Ask I didn't write this down, and I yeah. didn't yeah. run it by you. No. But like, sex and intimacy, yeah. and like. Like, yeah. how did that go? Well, I was, like, kind of weird about it, you know? You I know. was, like, so weird about it. I just kind of, like, didn't – like, I didn't want to. And then I was – and also because I wasn't sure at that time how long I had to wait before I had the reconstruction. And I was like, if I have to wait two years, am I, like, actually saying I'm not going to have sex for two years? It's like, is this what I'm doing? And I was like, I needed to – you know, and I, I talked through it a lot in my therapy, like, what am I – you know, do I need to have breasts in order to feel attractive? Is this what I'm saying to myself? And it's actually just challenging these conventions and these concepts that we have that we hold 
kind of so close to us and it's when you sort of shake them and go, fuck no, like I, that's not, is that what this is? Like is that, and it's when you, I think, force yourself and challenge yourself and go, okay, no. And also sometimes you just got to get back on the bike. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just really got to get back on the mic, you yeah. know. Yeah. And okay. I, and it was look, I w- was I at my most like, hey, let's definitely do this four times a week. Definitely no. <laughs> Could <laughs> you, you know? come the first yeah, time? Yeah, Probably yeah. not. But it's a little bit of a mental thing. thing. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's just going to take me a while, you know. But I think in a way also, I felt loved. You know, and and part of that maybe was part of my healing to feel that I could also love myself. You know, it's like okay, I really had to work. Like the the recovery, I I say this a lot. Sometimes I actually feel like the hardest part. I mean, not not harder than the chemo and whatever. Like that was obviously a very different period, but like the internal recovery actually happens after when everyone's like, oh my god, this is incredible. You're all clear, and that's when who am I now? Because I view the world in an entirely different way. I don't see anything the same. I've been through an experience that's literally changed every cell and fiber in my being. I, I am a different person. So now it's like, well, who am I now? And you start again. Yeah. And so did you struggle to um, kind of like bond and attach with your baby? No. So that was actually really good. I was l- like, no. I like oh, I was, that so was actually re- yeah that's that was amazing. actually really I think that was really good because I was worried I was like if I haven't breastfed do I need to breastfeed in order to feel attached and I was like oh well no maybe I don't and it's funny because obviously then with my second because uh, I remember saying to myself well I carried her so that's fine and then obviously when we had Alyssa which was a different kind of pregnancy I wondered whether I would not feel attached to her because I didn't carry her. And so it's interesting, again, challenging these notions that you have that like... It has to be done the old-fashioned way. It has to be done this way in order to feel X, Y, Z. And no, I was super attached to Annabelle. I felt like I just, you know, yeah, the, the bond that her and I have is, it runs deep. That's so beautiful. Um, reconstruct. I mean, I have just so many questions and we're not going to be able to cover it all, but reconstruction, I think that is something that the listeners are going to be intrigued about, Mm. um, because it's optional. Mm -hmm. Um, the second mastectomy, was that a It was hi- highly recommended. Okay. Highly recommended because the cancer has such a high recurrence rate. So the, the one that I had has a very high recurrence rate in the first year. Um, the years, I think from memory, years one is very, very high. Year three and four are very high. Year five is a bit lower. So it's on this sort of weird graph. Um, so I was like, of course. Yeah. no question no problem I'll do it so I did had did you suffer as much as you did with the second mastectomy no because I had the recon at the same time oh, so that's a lot of that's a lot to put your body through in one go big surgery I think it's like 14 15 hours it's a lot because I had what's called um what is it called it's called a tram flap I think from memory and so it's not implants I don't have implants I have they take the tissue and the veins and the fat from your stomach your back if there's not enough um, and then they use it to literally build new breasts they attach each vein one by one so if I put on weight my boobs will grow if I lose weight my boobs will shrink just like real boobs wow yeah so it's not um it's incredible it's actually 
incredible. But the toll afterwards, again, I hadn't, you know, I was like, oh, yes, 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 I'll just do that. That'll be great. And, but it's literally starting again. They move your belly button. They do all of this and you, you know, you're in this tight compression, you're all bandaged up. So it took a few weeks to recover. But I think at that point I I was on the, I just wanted to recover. You know, I just didn't, you know, you've, you've been through so much. Your body does start to get, it's, it's weary, but it's incredibly resilient, you know. And I think that that's, I just was like, that's fine. I'll just keep going. You just keep going. And what are the bit, like, obviously you were given a plethora of choices, whether to not do it, whether to do it, whether to wait and then do it afterwards, whether to do the flap reconstruction or an implant reconstruction. Mm. Like how did you arrive at the decision that you made? So again, I had some of my decisions were removed for me. So no implants were, I wasn't allowed to have implants because the cancer had a high recurrence rate in the first year and I was still doing a lot of tests. They didn't want me to have implants. To get in the way of... It's like if your body rejects the... Let me try and remember how this worked. If your body rejects the implants and you need surgery, they don't want you going into another surgery in case you need to have the chemo, something like that, right? Right, okay. So they were like, no implants for you. You have to have these. Oh, and I must had, have been like, fuck, that would yeah. have been an easier choice. Yeah, and it's funny. I was very like, oh, I want implants. I want implants. I just don't, I don't want this, you know. Um, but again, I... You know, we have incredible doctors in this country. We're so lucky having, you know, uh, doctors and nurses and the medical system is incredible. And I was like, you know what, I, I try, if that's what she's telling me, then that's what I'm going to do. This is what I do. So she was like, no implants for you. You can either have, um, you can have this, the tram flap, or you can have like nothing and come back in a year and have it then or whatever. And I was like, no, no, I just want to do it all now so that I can put this, you know, if I was to get the all clear, and I think I even had it at that point, if I get the all clear that then I can put this chapter to bed and I can work on recovering, you know. Wow. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's different for everybody and there's no – I know lots of people who have had the mastectomies and have not had a recon and are really happy with that. I know people who have had implants and are happy. Like, I I remember I was at a – like a charity sort of – like a little committee meeting and they were doing some sort of charity fundraiser, I think for the hospital. And it was right before I'd gone to have the first mastectomy. And um, my doctor had popped in and said, Hey guys, Sal's having a mastectomy, you know, in a couple of days, she's a bit nervous about it. And I was joking, like 12 women all took their tops off. And I was like, let you have a good old look. They they were like, Oh, don't worry. I had, so that like, literally there's all these boobs everywhere. And and, like this person's like, Oh, I've had like, like one mastectomy and like a one side with a recon one. And then it's like, I've had none. I've had like implants. Oh, I, I did this or because they actually, when they do the recon, they then do the nipples separately at another time. So it's all very, it's all in stages. So I was like, I love you guys. Like, thank you so much, you know, and it's, it's that openness and that's such love and kindness, right? Because you're in the dark, you're you're completely in the dark and your doctor says, don't Google anything because all you're going to see is botched jobs. And so then you're afraid. So you're like, I don't know what I'm going into. And so here are these women who are just so generous and so kind, like, hey, check out my boobs. Oh my God. And that is like, what I love about women, right? That sisterhood of like, hey, check this out. So oh good. Oh my god. Yep. Okay, so, um, I mean, I could still ask more about this postpartum experience, but I I do want to talk about your next um, motherhood journey, just because you hadn't been through enough character <laughs> building. Um, you knew you wanted another child. 
Um, to cut to the chase, you went with surrogacy. Yep. Can you just give us like the sort of an explanation as to why that was the best choice for you guys? Yep. So I wasn't allowed to carry another child um, because the risk of getting sick was too high. So And so just for the listeners, because mm. I think this is a really interesting phenomenon, in pregnancy can often be a time, because you, there's so many cells rapidly dividing, that actually is dangerous for women. Correct. There's so much blood flow, right? So there's like... This is the thing. Cancer is not like so. Say when you've got a flu, that's a virus, or you you're sick, and your doctor says, "Oh, you've got a virus. I'll give you some antibiotics," and the antibiotics kill just the virus. So with cancer, it's not a virus. There's nothing. There's not. This is not something that's invaded your body in a bad way. It's just cells, your normal cells that should have an expiry date. I hope I explained this correctly. That don't expire. And so they become cancer. So hence why chemo can't decipher and go, hey, you have breast cancer. I would just get the cancer cells. It obliterates your entire body. That's just what it does. So hence when you're pregnant and there's all this blood flow, which is important and very um, critical to um, you know growing a, a healthy baby, that it can then, if there's some cancer cells, it can then help them grow. That's a yep. very... Layman's no, terms, I'm not a doctor explanation. Okay, so basically it was off the table. And when did you learn that? Because that must have been a hard pill to swallow. It was. You hadn't gotten off yeah. of those either. Yeah, it was. And I think I didn't really know that until um, – I can't remember. I, th- I, th- um, I think maybe I'd asked uh, sort of early on and I remember Fran saying to me, who was my oncologist, saying – this is not a conversation for now, you know, like this is not – like don't worry about this now. Like let's just get through this thing and then, you know. So I sort of shelved it for a while until I got to about, you know, maybe sort of a, a year after my recovery and she was like – and I had still three embryos left. So I was – or four embryos left um, from Annabelle. So I had five in IVF. Annabelle was one. I had four left. And she was like, that's great. You've got them. You either can wait after your five-year – you know, period and try again. Again, don't really recommend it. But of course, I can't tell you what to do. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do this. And um, early on in when I was unwell, this amazing human said to me, like kind of whispered in my ear, literally, if you ever decide you would like to have a baby virus surrogate, I have, I, I know a place in the States because this friend of mine had, had done it and I could like recommend it. And it was sort of kind of always in the back of my mind. And so then when that time came, I was like, okay, maybe I'll like, kind of explore surrogacy and see how this works out. And I decided to do it in the States because um, the, the laws are different in Australia. You can only do um, surrogacy via somebody, you know, who gifts it to you. You can't pay anyone, obviously. And you also um, – so, A, I didn't know anyone, like – Basically, everybody who I know is my age and um, also the surrogate. I can't remember if this is the rule here or if this is the States where they need to have had their own child. can't remember. Anyway, I didn't know anyone who was going to basically be a surrogate for me. And a lot of people at the time were like, why doesn't your sister do it for you? And I'm like, really? Like, she has not had her own child yet. I don't want her first experience of having a child to be having mine. Like, that's also not fair for her. Like, I would never do that to her, you know. I want her to have her own child. Um, so in the end, I was like, I'm going to do it in the States. It's actually, um, whilst expensive, it's very organized. It's a relatively, I don't know if easy is the right word, but a relatively for such a complicated thing, it's actually very easy. 
And maybe there's kind of like the distance is maybe kind of nice as well. Yeah, I didn't want um, – I mean, I didn't know anyone anyway, So, but like I also didn't want somebody who was – I didn't know what that experience was going to be like, so I also didn't want somebody who was like, hey, I had your baby for you, so now like we're like, you know, basically related. Yeah. Or, like I, I didn't know if it was going to be the experience where I just wanted it to be at arm's length or if I was going to feel close. I didn't know what I, what I was up for. So I didn't want to – I wanted an arm's length experience. And – your embryo, which is a fertilised egg, which mm-hmm. is grown, mm-hmm. was sent – did they send one? That They send them all. Okay. And you were telling me the other day that it's like they send like this incredible courier. Yeah, yeah. There's, like this, there's this guy. He, he's, the, he's the fertility courier. And, and it's funny because if you speak to people who've done it, they uh, – I can't remember his name now. Everyone knows. Like let's just pretend his name's like Ron, right? Everyone goes, oh, my God, did Ron take your embryo? It's like, yeah, 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 Ron, Ron, Ron. Like he's like the guy. Um, and, um, yeah, so he literally like, so he, you know, goes over to like, you know, my, so we did our IVF at Jenea. So goes to Jenea, they, they, you know, they get the embryos and he literally takes them. He takes them to the fertility clinic in the States. And, and do they only go once you have someone? Yeah. Yeah. And how, how do you come upon this person do you pick them do people approach you with an option no it's an agency so there's an agency so there's and this is a thing you know I often say about the states things that are relatively easy like say getting your license are so difficult to get in the states things that should be difficult e.g. getting a gun quite easy e.g. surrogacy quite easy so it's a it's a weird like in that sense it's a weird place but the surrogacy process is very easy they've been doing it for a very long time it's an agency. They um, have all these people. You say, you know, like, for example, okay, what is important to you? You know, this, 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 this. You do all the legals. You do all the paperwork. And it's like a kind of like dating. So it's rather than like looking through hundreds of things, they're like, this is the person based on all the thousands of questions that you've answered. This is the person who we think is right for you. You'll read their profile. You can do an interview with them. You can meet them. You can go, okay, yes, no. So the first person I was like, mm, no, actually I don't, you know, for this reason and this reason, I didn't actually kind of vibe it with her. Okay, great. Based on your feedback, this is the second person. And the second person was Rachel, who was our surrogate, who I love um, and until my last breath will forever be grateful for the gift she gave me. Um, yeah, and and I was like, I, I, I love her. And so then, you, you know, Marcus and I did like a, um, like a Zoom with her and her husband and then we're all like, oh my. And, and they also have to say yes, right? So it's not like, oh, well, I picked because you. Because so she now has you- to believe that she's doing it for the for people who she trusts are going to be good parents, right? Oh, totally. And it's yeah. like, and they get vetoed and they've done all their psychological testing. She'd been a surrogate for somebody once before. She's a nurse in the neonatal ward. So she's like already basically a saint. Um, she had three daughters of her own, had been a surrogate for somebody once before and then um, wanted to do it again one more time. And so, yeah, it was it was the best experience I think I've ever had. And, and that's a, a wild thing to say because actually there's a lot of loss, right? Like I couldn't carry my own child and I could – like there's a lot of, you know, but actually – At the crux of that is like this faith in humanity that somebody out there who's a stranger gives a shit enough about whether someone else can experience. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's wild. Wild, wild. It was the most joyous experience I've ever had. And so just out of curiosity, Mm. what do you – 
put is important to you. I guess, like for me, if I was to pick a surrogate, what would be important to me? What's important to me is that like they're healthy, um, that probably that they have their own children so that they have to have their own kids. Oh, okay. That's actually a rule. Okay. Yeah, they have to. And they can't. So this is a thing with the difference between the states and here. So here, because it's um, it's you know you can't pay anyone it's being gifted to you so this you're relying on this person not keeping your child so you have no legal claim over your child so if you were like hey Sal I'll totally carry your child and then you'd like I just feel too bonded I'm sorry I have to keep it I have no recourse whereas in the states it's not like that it's like no 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 it's different because that was a question that I was going to ask you Mm. um which I actually okayed with you before we hit (laughs) record because I was like this is a pretty hefty question I was like ask anything (laughs) but that fear of like because that would come to most people's mind right what if that person goes no no I'm too attached and they like run away so that doesn't happen so in the states that doesn't happen you know so and I think that's also another reason where I was like I just can't I just don't want to I can't, I mean, I don't know anyone else. I don't want to risk it where I'm like, you might feel it. I just, yeah, I can't do this, you know. So at no point was I concerned and also, and I think that's probably also why they want them to have their own kids. She'd been a surrogate before. So like I literally was like, I love Rachel so much. Like I never was worried about anything. But in terms of what was important for me, it was like, like a really loving home. I wanted somebody who, like, I loved that she was a nurse. Scott, her husband, is like a police officer. Like, they're just like they're in this country town um, in Milwaukee, and they're just decent, beautiful people, you know. And so, I think for me, that was what was you, you wanted know. your baby to absorb. I'm such yeah. a believer that, like, from conception that little life is absorbing what is around you, you know, to, to, to something is not, and I don't think this is a finite thing, but some people might like to, to words of kindness to the way, yeah, the way that you speak to the people who you're with, like everything just totally. affects you, right? Completely, completely. And I wanted like, I was like, well, if I'm not going to be there every day, which I'm not, I need to make sure that like this little baby that's growing is in a beautiful home, you know, is is as good a care as I could give it, you know, and it's hard. How do you essentially hope that somebody is, even if it's in utero, raising your baby as as in the way that you could and and you know I, I have said hand on heart like she did as good a job as I ever could have done you know and so do you do you feel attached to the birth process did you care how that how your daughter was born obviously you go over there like talk to me about all yeah that. yeah and no, I was very attached to it so we went across when um the first so so we had those four embryos we went across when the first embryo was implanted and that was like so exciting we're all there I was like oh my god it's amazing and then we came home and then it was um successful so we were like oh my god this is like first times is so incredible and everything was great until 11 weeks and we were on a call with Rach and the doctor just doing the um I don't know what that was. It's like some cardboard just like <laughs> flying <laughs> through the air. Um, we're on a call with the doctor and Rach had her three girls at the appointment because, of course, they're really excited. Mummy's having a baby. It's for – and because they – uh, her three girls are roughly the same age as Annabelle was. So they were kind of all this, this little gang of girls who are all excited about this baby coming into the world. And then the doctor was like, there's no heartbeat oh. at 11 weeks. And we were like, oh. And so that was really, that was really tough. It was tough on us. It was tough on Rachel. It was tough on the girls. And. 
And so then, you know, we had a break, Rach, you know, kind of recovered and then we went again. The second one didn't take. And then at that point, Marcus... Did you go over for that time? We didn't, I didn't go over that time. I was like, now I'm a little bit gun shy. I'm like, oh, let's just see how this goes. And this is the thing about the surrogacy process. From beginning to end for us, this was two years, which means it was two years for Rach and her family. That's a long time for their life to be on hold to make sure our dream happens, you know. And so... So around the middle, Marcus's mum was sick and dying. And so I was like, I just need a break. I can't, you know, kind of can't do this right now. So then we went back and did the third one. It didn't work. And then I had one embryo left. And so then I was under, people were saying to me, like, you should get a new surrogate. Maybe it's her. Maybe like, you know, there's, you know, like her. um, So two failed implantations and one miscarriage. Correct. And only one left. And, And I was like, you know, Marcus said, look, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on board, you know, I don't mind. And I was like, you know, like, however this turns out, like, however this story ends, I, I will see this through with Rach, you know, like I, this for me is a, um, is an experience of two mothers trying to bring this child into the world. And, and I love her so much. And I, however it ends, I feel I'm not, I'm not going to blame her for anything. Like, I, like, no, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not a dropper, you know, like I'm going to see this through with her. And yeah, I just, I'm so glad I didn't get swayed because I was under a lot of pressure from people going like, and I was like, nah, nah, you know, you pick and you stick. And, um, oh my God, that like really affected yeah, me. It's really beautiful. Yeah. I really like, was just like, I just like, I, 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 felt like the 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 hugeness of what she was doing and and the girls like I really remember as well when we went across for the birth I was saying to the girls you know what will you guys do next summer and they were like we've been waiting for two years to go to Disneyland but mummy said we can't go until after Sally and Marcus get their baby and I'm like oh my god you've got like a five a six and a seven year old and their last two years of their lives have been on hold for us like you you know so that's why I get the shits when people are like I just think so I guess it's like oh, really bad and it's like <sighs> are, are you are you joking like are yeah. you like these people are so like of course like in anything there can be good people and bad people in all kinds of scenarios and obviously mine's only one experience but I you got to have faith, right? Like you got to have a little bit of faith in humanity sometimes. And it's hard because I do know, like I people say, like, why did you choose the states? And I was like, well, I wanted a, um, to have a. I didn't want a third party um, translating for me. I wanted to make mm. sure I could speak to Rach direct and she could speak to me direct, and I didn't need anybody to translate and, and to trust that translation process, right? Correct. Because if you don't believe that the agency has the woman's best interest at heart or your best in yeah that's very true so yeah. I was like I want to just make sure like if you know if I was able to go to a country where I didn't have a language barrier but I was like I just need to be able to speak to her direct and I want to make sure we've got a relationship and yeah so yeah it was a an incredibly um yeah it was amazing and so um when it comes time for the baby to be born mm. is there like what decision is made around the 
the, the birth process. So again, the States is so, it's like really organized. Um, okay. So very, um, okay. So at the birth, would you like to cut the cord? Okay, great. Would you like to hold the baby first? Would you like Rachel to hold the baby? How like, can Rachel hold the baby at all? Like what's the, it's so. And cesarean or like, cause I could, the other thing is like, when I think about the intensity of labor, like, is that something that you want her to go through? You know, like there's a lot. And, and also like if you're only thinking about the baby, then there are, you know, benefits to a vaginal birth. Yep. There's just so much that comes into so it. So much. And I think maybe because I'd been through the cancer, I was like, like first first things first is the health of, of, of Rach and the baby, right? So it's like um, what does what does she need? What you know? And I was and what and does she want? And I was really open to it. And she and she she's such a superstar. She was like, oh, I have like twenty minute births. I was like, you have twenty minute births. She's like, oh yeah, yeah. And and she did. Can I tell you? It was like, I think it was like nineteen and a half minutes. Like the woman's like amazing. I was like, wow, I've waited longer for a coffee. <laughs> like, I just can't believe it. Um, so she had said to me like, I I will I like and again I was like if if that's what's you know, if you want to do a vaginal birth, I'm actually okay with that. If there's complications and you need to have a cesarean, I'm okay. Like whatever, as long as you're okay and the baby's okay, that's all I care about. I'm open to the process. I'm not hung up on anything. Because some women who 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 are the um, receiver of the baby, I don't know what the correct word yeah. is, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no. um, would be like, no, no, I want it to be a cesarean. I want it to be the safest possible thing and I want it to be very like not this kind of drawn-out process where there's almost like, I guess – the insecure part of my brain would be like, that's another way for a woman to form an attachment, right? Because labour can form such an attachment. Yes, and I think it's – look, and this is the thing, like I could not be a surrogate for anyone, right, because I would be too attached. Like it is a certain person, right? And I think for Rachel, like I remember saying to her something once and she said to me, you know, this is like kind of – this is not my baby. Like yeah. it, with with the greatest respect, this is not my baby. Like I am, I'm, I'm your I'm custodian. Person. I'm your custodian. I will do everything to make sure you get your baby. Like you guys are completing your family. Like I have my family. I've got three kids, and then she went on to have another daughter as well. You know, so she's and and it's like it is a very unique person who has that ability to be so giving, like so incredibly giving. And, and again, I think it's because she was a nurse, right? So yeah. she knows how to care. And to have some healthy level of detachment at the a, end of a, the day. A healthy boundary. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, wow. totally. Yep. Okay, so you're over there. She's having this fast labour. Yep. How the fuck do you feel? Like, are you in the room? Yeah, we're in the room. Oh, yeah, we're God. in the room. We're in the room. And Is there and any again, nerves about something going wrong or are you just no, like, it's No, I'm just on a high. I'm on a high. I'm like so excited. And we were there for weeks on end waiting because she was like, I always come early. So we were over there early and then it's like, and then and she Annabelle, didn't come early. And Annabelle? Annabelle. So, so it's so funny. They, I had kind of was always like, oh, Annabelle, they'd said to me, she can't be in the room because she's a minor. Um, How old is Annabelle? She's five. Five, okay. She's five. She can't be in the room. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Basically, like, she can just be, like, in the waiting room or whatever. And so then, like, just as, like, four minutes before Rachel's going to give birth, they're like, no, she can't be in the waiting room by herself. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, well, can she just sit in the – literally in the corridor, like, right outside the room? They're like, no, she can't be there either. So, so I'm like, okay, you have to sit in the bathroom. So literally, like, I, like, shove her into the bathroom with her <laughs> iPad. I'm like, here, watch Frozen. <laughs> 
because there's no way either of you want to not be there. Oh, like, well, Marcus wasn't there. So Marcus was on Zoom. So Marcus was in the middle of this insane work thing. So at that time, he wasn't working with us, right? And he couldn't have leave. So me and Maha, because we were there for seven weeks, right? So we're there for so long because you can't just come home either. Like from the States, you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to come home. So it's not like a short trip. You, there's all these passports and legals and you know documents and a million things to do um so, so Mark, came on, with you. yeah so we oh. had this seven week trip together oh. um, maha and i and annabelle and it's still like neither of us can talk about it without crying because it was such a just a just amazing and um so yeah marcus and my mom and my dad they're all together at my mom and dad's house they're all all imagine (laughs) the room like the they're all like you know and and rachel's husband scott's there and maho and i are there and the doctors are there and they're really excited because they're like oh my god these australians are here with a surrogate you know they're all like everyone's in the bars and stuff it's amazing and like literally like you know She's like, okay, I've got Christmas. And I'm like, hoo, 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 and gives birth. <laughs> oh, my God. And then they, they, I cut the cord. They gave her straight to me. We had skin on skin. We're all bawling our eyes out, you know. And it's, um, yeah, it was beautiful. It was so – and it was funny because I didn't feel – I was worried. Like we were talking before about, you know, it, you know, if you go through something, do you feel not connected? Like I was saying to Marcus, I – maybe need to keep my eyes out, make sure I don't get postnatal depression. Like I feel like I would be a contender for this. I haven't carried. I like yeah. in a way I'm somewhat detached. Like I remember when people would say to me like, oh, I'm so excited for you. And I, so I think they were talking about like the TV show and I'd be like, oh, I know me too. It's going to be a great season of the show. And they'd be like, no, the birth. I'm like, oh, fuck, yes, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> well, because you're not carrying, right? So you're not, yeah, again, it's back not to – this constant, constant, constant right? thing where like you never – When you, you know, carry every day, your body changes every day. You feel every kick and move. It's like, well, yeah, I'm speaking to Rach and we're texting back and forth, you know, two, three times a week. I like zoom in for her scans, but I'm physically not there every day. You know, I'm not feeling this change every day. And I said to Marcus, I just want to be careful that I don't get yeah. there. And I'm it's like, a huge oh my thing God. To suddenly have a baby. Oh my God, arms. what happened here? I just, I wasn't, you know, kind of prepped for this. Oh my God, I hadn't wrapped my head around. Oh my God, what's going on here? You know, um, I didn't carry. Maybe I don't feel connected. Did I feel like somebody just gave me their baby? Like all of that stuff. And I think I went in with my eyes open and I was aware that, like, is this going to be a thing for me or whatever? Anyway. It was totally amazing and I felt very connected and um, it was funny. I remember like on the first night, Rach and I were in the room together and um, and she was like, oh, can I hold her for a bit? And I was like, of course, of course. And she's holding Alyssa and she starts speaking and Alyssa's eyes, like that recognition of, of her, her voice, voice and I just fucking lose it. I'm bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, I just am so grateful for the love and care and just it, like all of it, you know, like I just was like, I can't ask for any more. Like I couldn't ask for any more. And it was a really beautiful. Um, and that didn't make you like insecure? No, it's weird. It, it, like it, it, maybe because I felt like I got a gift because without that I would have had no second child. I think it was like the flip side. It was like. 
I felt a loss. Like when people, like one thing I, like I'm a little sensitive about is when people like make jokes and they're like, oh, you're so, that's so good. Like no weight gain and you can drink. And oh, I'm like, fuck <laughs> that's like, come on, too far. Just shut the fuck you up. You know, I'm like, oh, I really. Do you would give like, anything to carry? Of course oh, you would. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, you just, and I know it's not mean and it's very well yeah, intentioned. Like, and you know, on, just have a little bit of. You know, so there's, there's, and I think because I had grieved already for so long for me this was all upside like it was all like I actually couldn't believe my luck like I felt like I just had won like the lottery not only with this beautiful family but like just that I actually got the chance to even you know because those embryos could have just been still on ice for like and I could have just never you know and also I think because I we were down to that last embryo I was like well if this doesn't happen then that's actually just you know, that's how, it that's, goes. Ha- that's how it goes. This is how this story is meant to end, and that's okay. You don't have like whatever happens, I'm okay with it. And so, I think because I had faced that, this was just all upside. This was all upside. Oh my god. And so, how long after Alyssa was born did you bring her home? Um, I think like three or th- three weeks, maybe three and a half weeks. Like you've got to wait for all the paperwork and legals and passports. And, and is there um, any vaccines that are really, you're sort of caught up on? Do they do any of that early? I'm trying to remember. remember. I think it's four weeks, isn't I it? I can't remember. I think we did all that when we came home. So, yeah, they come home, you know, on a um, – you know, Alyssa came home like on a, she's on a tourist visa, and so she's to the, she's not an Australian citizen yet. So oh then you've got God. to do all like you know. So there's a there's a lot to it. It's not a it's not a walk in the park. It's not a walk in the park. It's a, it's a big you know process. And I just recently actually was saying to Maha, I feel like for so long I was like um, sick, recovering from being sick. Then I became like really quite. Um, I guess fixated right on on having this second baby a virus surrogate that was like a two-year process a job for you. it was a job like I was gonna see this through right so then it's like you've had like a couple of years of being sick a couple of years of recovery a couple of years of this surrogacy process then you go into a newborn and I feel like almost like just kind of recently I think during the pandemic I was like I feel like I've just come out of like a decade long fog for want of a better word you know like I feel like I just was always survival mode's not the right word but do you know like just adrenaline. like adrenaline I, I like i needed to do this thing i had to get through the cancer i had to get recover from that i had to and you're you know, clearly if people either thrive or melt down in that and you're clearly someone who thrives in that environment and just get shit done just keep going just got to keep going just but what keep, goes up know, must come down correct eventually and you have to recover and i was like oh i feel like i've only just and maybe it's because Alyssa. once she's kind of started prep i was like my God, what just happened in that decade? That was a lot, you know? That was a lot. And where was, like, did Marcus meet Alyssa in Australia or did mm. he come over? Mm-mm. Oh, my God, can you just tell me how that went? That was that must like wild. we were all I'm gonna cry again. bawling. <laughs> we were all bawling and bawling and bawling our eyes out. Like, it was just, oh, my God. We must have been at the airport and we were all bawling. Like we were like just, oh, it was just so wild. And she's this tiny so little baby. Tiny little baby. She was so light. Like it's so funny to look at her now with her little cheeks and everything, but she was such a light little thing. I remember being in Hawaii because we went home via Hawaii and I'm in the um, you know, the ABC stores like the 7-Eleven, like where you go to, you know, I was buying something for Annabelle and the woman's like, 
oh my God, that's a real baby. I thought it was a dolly. <laughs> I was like, because she's so she's little, real, you know. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I know. She's so little and so, oh. Oh my just, God, Izzy was like that. She was like a doll. Oh, so small. So small and so oh. light and so like just, oh. Just like, and the thing, because I never thought I would have a newborn, you know, so it's almost in a way, it's like I got to have a second chance, maybe not at the pregnancy part, but at that, but, but at that part where it's yeah. like, I'm healthy enough to like, we Enjoy. Can, we can go to the park together. We can go in the pram. I can cuddle you for hours. I'm not crawling from my room to yours, vomiting on the way to get to you. Oh. Like, so it's sort of like, I feel like with Annabelle, I had this great pregnancy experience and I feel like with Alyssa I had this great kind of newborn oh experience God, so maybe together they combine to into it. one you know it's just it is what it is right oh and you can't compare the two right like the, the that postpartum newborn experience wow so different. Oh my god, I'm so mind Two two wildly different. Um, it's funny, right? Like, so I grew up in Castle Hill. If you know, that's basically like suburban suburban Sydney, very middle class. You know, I grew up. My parents are immigrants, and you know, like, so you know, when you sort of you think it, when you're a kid, and you're like, oh, I'm just. I'll go to Union, I'll get a job and then I'll get married and then I'll have two kids. And like you just, you don't, you have this idea that your life has, um, it's a trajectory that goes upwards only, <laughs> you know, like you don't think there's going to be any trauma or any kind of, because you're so naive, you know. And sometimes I just think like I just could have never, ever, not in my wildest dreams, r- predicted any of this, you know, it's crazy. Oh my god. I mean there is still so much that we could talk about and we haven't even like touched the sides in terms of like swish becoming what it is today and you know running a business and dealing with staff and and even like you know I think there would be people out there who have this perception that because you were uh, had a media profile that like everything's been a walk in the park oh, for you. Yes. And that must drive you fucking bonkers. Um, but we're literally about to hit an hour and a half. <laughs> we'll do another one another time for that, we that part. <laughs> like I have to have you back because it's such a joy talking to you. Love it. Thank you. But thank you so much oh for God. your generosity. Thank you. I cried like three times. Oh, my God. It was, I'm it's, super hormonal. It's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't even said – I haven't actually mentioned um, – but I'm actually – I'm pregnant. Yay! I'm pregnant. Maybe by the time this comes out, I'll probably be like proper pretty preggies. But um, I'm currently 12 and a half weeks pregnant. So all of that, I felt. You felt it? Every part yeah. of this story. And just the the privilege of, of, you know, me sitting here pregnant right now is not lost on me. Oh, it's, you know, and this is the thing. It's like we all have our, you know, like I don't think any of us can go through life without getting a little banged up along the way. We all have our things that happen to us, you know, and it's what makes us human. Hopefully it makes us empathetic. Hopefully it makes us um, have a, a better appreciation for, 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 for whatever we have and for being alive. You know, but it doesn't take away from someone else's joy. Like, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. And I also, like, the next time I have you back, I feel like there's a lot to talk about with your incredible relationship with your husband. I'm always really intrigued by that because I have a, I have a very, very wonderful relationship with my husband. He truly is, like, my he's my best friend. He's my business partner. There, cool. there is no boundary to the trust and the vulnerability and, like, we do everything together and I'm so I'm always that's why I kept being like but what about Marcus yes. like what happened with Marcus here because yeah. I think that that is a story of its own it, there's no like he has um completely 
um, he's impacted my life in so many ways, so much more than just, I think, like being married to him and going through life together and him being like the father of our children. Like he actually, like when I was even just saying the thing about like TV, like he really like planted that seed in and like one, once that was planted, I was like, I was like a rocket, right? But he has given me very pivotal, pivotal advice at certain times in my life that have actually shaped the course of my life. And he's very generous and not threatened, which I really respect by like, he doesn't need to be better than me in inverted commas to feel good about himself. He's like, we're a team. Your success is my success. My success is your success. And I really respect that he's very comfortable in himself. There's such a shift in that because there's still, you know, there are a lot of people that um, I, I have people say to me all the time, also your husband quit his breadwinning corporate job to join your business. <laughs> like, and they're shocked by that. And that is pretty fucking awesome. Like, I think it's really cool. But like people are still... You know, there's a lot of men out there who I don't know would be able to have the ego to cope with working in a business Ooh. that their wife built, which is mad, yeah. which is stupid, but it's a it's a fact. Yep. Um, oh my god, yep. I really can't wait to meet him. We'll have to have I dinner, have dinner together, have yeah. a wine, we'll have a wine in a while. But um, oh my god, we'll thank you it. so much. I've just loved this, and I know that the listeners would have been on the edge of their seat, guys. Sorry, I know we always go over, but like, what else could I have done in this situation? Thank you. Thank We've you. left so many things unsaid. Okay, we both need to weep. <laughs> Thank you. <Mwah. laughs>